Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. And we're coming to the uh, end of a series, and then we're going to look at a different series called More that starts next week. But we're not going to, we are actually going to kind of revisit this uh, series at Christmas because Christmas is all about Jesus. And if it isn't all about Jesus, it's not really Christmas. So um, there's so much we, we've discovered as we put this together to see and discover and find out about who Jesus is. There's so much more to say amidst all of the titles that people may give Jesus, all of the, the things that people may say about him, about all the names that he, taught, he gave himself or that others gave him, all of the opinions and all of the speculations. The most important thing is not any of that. And the most important thing is the question that he asked Peter and the other disciples 2,000 years ago when he asked them this question, who do you say that I am? That's what matters most. Who do you say that I am? And if you remember, if you know that part of the story, Peter replied, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, bingo. Well, actually not literally. That's not in the Greek in case you were wondering. He just, it was like, yeah, you got it. That's true. That's right. I am the son of the living God. And, and you didn't guess that yourself. You didn't make that up for yourself. You didn't find that out by yourself. You, you, my father in heaven showed you that. That's how you know that. So I want to pray. Lord, I pray now during this time as we look at your word together that you would open our eyes to be able to get a bigger picture of who you actually are because sometimes we just shrink you down so much. Lord, send your Holy Spirit and illuminate your word to us. I receive this as your truth. Will you say that? I receive this as your truth. Anybody else want to say it with me other than Isaac? Ready? I receive this as your truth. Thank you that you want to speak to me. Speak to me now from your word. Be my teacher. Be my Lord. Be my Lord and be my teacher. Amen. See, this is a relationship with the Son of God that we're talking about, not a religion. And um, Peter, at that point, had his eyes open, but then a few minutes later, half an hour later, he seems he completely forgot and he gets it all wrong again. And that for me, is, a, is a, it's like what my, my Christian life is like very often. I get a glimpse of something and then it's like I forgot and I just go back and maybe Jesus has to tell me something else and it isn't always uh, nice to be able to have that. But, but if you track Peter's journey, you'll see it's very much like most of our journeys. And there comes this point, a very famous story we're going to look at called the last, they say it happened on the night we call the Last Supper in John chapter 13. And we're going to read through, and as we read through, I'd like you to be looking out for two titles that Jesus says people gave him. And I'm going to hone in on them as we finish this series because they really, really matter. Are you ready? We'll read it off on the screen if you want to as well in John chapter 13. It was just before Passover. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was over, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, what did he know? He knew that the Father had put all things under his power, 
and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he knew who he was, he knew where he'd come from and he knew where he was going. He's totally secure. So from that position of absolute security, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, which would have been the rabbi outfit that people would have recognized. He took that off and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Jesus answered, no, said Peter. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Literally, that phrase is, never as long as the world lives. Will you ever wash my feet? Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Say that. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, because he was always one to go full on, not just my feet and my hands, but my head as well. Just moving on down, down the passage a little bit. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Two words that people call Jesus, and he said, yes, I am both of those. Teacher, rabbi, you're my teacher, you instruct me, you inform me, you give me wisdom, you give me things that I know, you help my life. That's what a teacher says, that's what a teacher does. But honestly, whoever did everything the teacher told them to do? See, there's a second category here, and this is Lord. You rule over me, whole other level. You are in charge of me. Lord means what you say goes. It's not about what I know. I submit to what you know. It's not about what I do. I do what you want me to do. You are Lord. I am not. So, which is Jesus to you? Or is he both? And in what order? Does what Jesus say to you, just, is he just to help your life? add on to your life or does what Jesus says go no matter what see we see in the way the disciples interact there's a big difference between Jesus is my teacher and Jesus is my Lord it's demonstrated not by what we say but what we do about what he says how we respond whether we fully understand it or not Peter it turns out, didn't fully understand, Jesus pointed that out to him, what he was doing. But does anybody here think that your obedience has to be limited to your understanding? Because if it does, your obedience will be severely limited. 
The extent to which Jesus is Lord and not just teacher for me will massively affect three areas, three marks of Christian discipleship and maturity. For Peter, it was all about membership. For the rest of the disciples, it was all about ministry, but Judas had the problem with the money. Why did Jesus wash their feet? The simple answer is usually best. Why did Jesus wash their feet? Because their feet were dirty. Jesus didn't always wash people's feet. He wasn't like known as Jesus the foot washer of Nazareth. Was he? He was the carpenter of Nazareth. But there was a dirty job that nobody else wanted to do. There was a difficult job that everybody else thought somebody else should do. Jesus, as a leader, did the dirty, hard job that nobody else wanted to do. Even if it caused massive misunderstanding, Jesus did it. Jesus is a leader. Jesus is the servant leader. People's feet were dirty. Everybody else was looking at it. Everybody else was aware of the problem. Jesus did. See, we romanticize this so much and we paint nice pictures of it. Oh, Jesus is a wonderful servant leader. Jesus did the dirty, hard job that nobody else wanted to do, even though people would misunderstand it. That is leadership. And he had hard conversations with his followers because he wanted something more than superficial going on. He loved Peter and he loved him enough to talk the truth to him. So some questions that arise from me in three areas from this passage because it really matters as to what kind of church you think this is and what kind of church Jesus wants us to build here at Ivy. It boils down to whether Jesus is teacher or Lord for you in three areas, money, membership and ministry. See, Judas called Jesus rabbi. Very often. That's how we refer to him. Some scholars have thought we've been a bit too hard on Judas. They kind of write articles and things that say basically he was disappointed because he was looking for a political solution. He had a viewpoint in terms of what a Messiah should do. It turns out Jesus wasn't going to do that. And so he kind of, you know, he, 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 he handed him over to the rulers. But the Gospels say it was about money. Jesus trusted him with money. In fact, he trusted him with all the money. Does anybody think Jesus set him up to fail? I don't think so. I think he gave him money as a test to see whether he would be faithful. And he wanted him to be faithful with the money. But he says, Judas used to help himself. He, he didn't like it when they helped others with the money because he wanted to help himself. He actually stole the money that God gave them and used it all for himself. See, money is a lordship issue. Judas's lord was money. Jesus was not lord for Judas. It was very clear because he sold him out. For today's equivalent would be less than 3,000 pounds. He sold him, gave him up for that. Jesus said money, he actually gave it a name, he called it mammon, it's a spiritual force. He says people worship money. And you, you can tell what somebody loves by what they spend their money on, can't you? If I love my wife, I'm going to spend money on my wife. If I love my children, I'm going to spend money 
on my children. I spend money. If I love me, I'm going to buy nice clothes for me and look after me. See, we spend money on the things that we love. It's a love issue. What gets your money got your heart. You spend your money on what and who you love. Every time we have an opportunity to be generous, to give to the work of the Lord, it is a love test. Think of it that way. Who do we love? Judas said, he called, he called Jesus rabbi. He even, it looked like to everybody else, nobody guessed. Did they? Nobody thought Judas was selling him out. He could just blend in with everybody else. He looked fine. He looked like he loved Jesus as much as everybody else. Or else they would have all gone, it's Judas, isn't it? Obviously. But it wasn't obvious. He blended in. He was just part of that group and of, of Jesus' worshippers. And he said, yeah, Jesus is my rabbi. He even betrayed him with a kiss and called him rabbi while he was doing it. See, I can call him teacher, but money says whether or not he's Lord. Will I love God? Will I trust God? How much? Will I love the Lord and use the money that he gives me and do what he says with it? Or will I love money? Here's how it works in a church setting. See, Jesus talked about two masters, two kingdoms. Which economy should Christians operate in? We've got a slide going up of the world economy. See, this is the UK economy. The world economy is ruled by fear and greed and scarcity. The kingdom of God operates by faith. Totally different. I've been here for 11 years. And the budget when I arrived, we aimed at, I think by memory, £375,000. That was what we were aiming to get. And God has been so faithful. Look what's happened in the last, this is just the last seven years, in the United Kingdom. That's the, the GDP and how it's gone. That's where it's gone. Now, does anybody think we should have made our plans to reach the world for Jesus, to help people find their way back to God based upon that economy or try to track with that economy? Anybody? I hope not. How about your own personal finance then? What is your financial decisions based upon? Which kingdom rules your finances in terms of what you give and how you live. How does your personal financial situation translate in these terms? Who is in charge of that? Where is your hope? Is your hope based upon what will or will not happen on October the 31st or December the 12th or January the 31st or whenever it's all going to get better by? I've not got my hope in any of that. See, let's look at what happened across the same time span in a kingdom economy as some people here at Ivy have tracked in faith with a God-given dream. This is the seven-year income journey of Ivy. Here's how God's income has gone in those same last seven years. Which master do you want to trust? Who do you want to partner with? See, notice we never actually set some big, crazy, double-it-all figure in terms of some, and called it faith, all we've done is believe that God is faithful and set a budget according to that, to God's generosity, believing God is able. I, I believe God is able to be able to do that, and so we've just kept on doing that together as elders, and, and we've voted on it together in various ways. So what's the situation now at Ivy, money-wise, halfway through? We thought it was a good time to be able to kind of give you a, a heads up on where we're at, 
Um, and in terms of expenditure, the staff and ministries are actually underspending what we planned for this year at the midway point. Okay? However, we are not there in terms of income. If we can put that next one on. Which means that budget holders will cut back. Because, not because we're people with no faith, but because we're good stewards. And we want to recognise that. But we have received from those who give so far less than what we believed we would have got by now. That leaves a gap. Now, to be honest with you, often in the year, we get a gap around this time. And what he's meant to do is not to get us to pray or fret or panic or point fingers, but to, to just to pray harder and to examine that and then to think about, about, about it and to depend on God more. See, the faith gap, actually, you'll see, we haven't set the faith gap at halfway through because our faith gap is all of it. Our faith gap is that God will provide 100% as he's done every year so far. I believe that. Does anybody else believe that? Anybody else? I see six, seven people. Brilliant. How does it happen practically? Three steps. Number one, by prayer. Number two, by faith. Number three, by action. We pray that God will give. And he does. Who does he give it to? Who does he give it to? Does he just deposit in straight into the bank of ivy? No. No, he doesn't do that. He's never done that. What he does is he gives the money to us. And then we make decisions about what we spend that money on. And we do it every week. We really make these decisions. So the summer really hurt us, I'll be honest, because during that time we didn't meet for a month. We gave teams a time off and we, we just had a great time. We wanted to do community instead. But the fact is there's some people who don't really give unless they're here. And so as a result of that, that, that made a difference. That kind of, um, you know, was, was difficult. And you see, we, we all have these things. You know, I really get these things. We had this thing, we've got Cheadle Hume, we've got a meeting in the week. I encourage you to come. Please come along to the Cheadle Hume meeting and, and find out more about the vision for it. We, we took up an offering, just our first fruits offering, and we said some of that was going to help us towards Cheadle Hume. When that happened, in my own personal finances, I had a, a particular figure that I wanted to give, and I wasn't able to give it at the time, so I ended up only being able to give half of it. It's the first time I've ever, it's ever happened. I was gutted. And I said to the Lord, Lord, if you give me the money, though, from something else, I will give to that. Have you ever prayed that? Yeah? If you do, guess what happened? He gave it me. I got a book thing. I wrote a book years ago before I came to Ivy. And now a, a, book, a, a publishing house in America have said, we'd like to take that book and we'd like to put it all over America. And can we buy the, the rights for it and the royalties? And here's $7,000. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. I can buy this, I can buy this, I can buy this, and I can buy this. That's my first thought. All the things I could do with that money. And then I was lying in bed, two o'clock in the morning, this little voice says, do you remember we had a conversation? <laughs> See, this is the test. It's faithfulness all the time. Do, who do we love? Who do we love most? So we encourage people to become regular givers to Ivy. And, and if you already are, to regularly review how you give. I did it this week, me and Zoe did it, and we just raised our level of giving this week. If you do that today, if you decide to become a giver regularly here at Ivy, this table's going to be at the back, that corner and that corner, for you to be able to get a standing order, fill it in, and please do it today, or review it. And to say thank you, I'd like to give you a free book, either one written by me or a good one. 
which you can select for yourself at the back. Okay. How many people regularly give? 245 people regularly give something at Ivy. Some give us couples, and that could represent, therefore, up to, you know, over a few hundred. 320, 330, something like that, individuals, because, as I say, some of these are couples. The vast majority are standing orders, which makes it so much easier, to be honest with you. And there's a few who give via envelopes. Some of us, I'll quite often grab an envelope in the worship just in a kind of, oh, I love him and I want to do it again kind of way and fill it in. And, and, but over and above what we, we tithe. And that's the tenth word that we sometimes use, which makes people go, ooh. But basically, it's something I've done well, well before I was ever working for the church. And it's a blessing. And I don't know whether anybody else tithes but me because only God knows you're 100%. I don't know. Catherine doesn't know who, who puts these figures together. But the recent total offering in a, in a site was less than a pound in total for a couple of weeks. And I was a bit surprised when I saw that that was what had come in the book is. And so I asked the question about it. And when I did it, it turned out, it, actually, the reason for that was, it was because that's one child who tithes their pocket money, who'd been faithful to do it, and that's the way in which they did it. So, you know, the Lord loves that. It's not about amounts. It's about heart. It's about being faithful. It's about knowing that you're blessed and being a cheerful giver. But if you've been here a while, I'll say this. If you've been receiving ministry here at Ivy and you come here, but you don't regularly give to the work of the church here, what is church to you? If you come and you come regularly and you receive ministry here in this church, but you haven't done whatever it takes to regularly give to the work of the church. What is church to you? When we sing and pray, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord of all. In fact, please stand if you're able. We're going to talk to the Lord just for a moment and pray. And some of us are part of that number and maybe the Lord wants to speak to you about that. But for each one of these things, I just want to give you a moment to talk to the Lord and listen to him. Maybe put your hands open. That's a good sign, good posture. The world wants us to live with closed fists. The Lord wants us to live open-handed. If you do give here, thank you. May the Lord bless you. Thank you. If you're new and this is all new to you, you're totally let off. We just want to bless you. But if you regularly now would say this is your church and you're a part of it, just talk to the Lord about that. And you can carry on talking to him about him just as we sit down again. And I just want to talk about there was 245 regular givers or as individuals or couples but for GDPR we had a data refresh in April and so many people have signed up over the years that according to the database we could pretty much fill Wembley Stadium but now we actually know we've got it right we have about a, a thousand people on the database we've got a, a, a slide for this and um, a snapshot Sunday just before the summer break was just short of that number of people who actually attended we totaled up across the sites now, one thing about moving out of Kingsway, we never could have got that number of people 
into Kingsway. 588 seats, it wouldn't have happened. So we've grown by moving and Ben and Emma have gone and planted a church in Stockport, which is also thriving, so God is good. And the fact is actually in smaller settings than this, we have a lot less spectators and a lot more participants. We get more people involved in the mission. See, the word member up there, by the way, is a New Testament word, pretty much coined by the Apostle Paul when he wrote about membership before anybody was member of a political party or a sports club. And it was about being part of a body. He wrote to a local church about being part of that body. And the way it's meant to work is that, that you have the heart of God and Jesus is the head and you play your part as part of that body and people see Jesus coming when they see the local church coming. See, we know that there is a bigger body of Christ in the world and in the city, and we love being part of that. And nobody has to remain as part of this church in order to be part of that church. And if anybody wants to go and become part of another church in the city, they are blessed to be able to go, to become a member there, to fully invest in that. We can bless people to go into the body of Christ, because that's his body too. But a mark of maturity is membership. And Jesus got a little bit too close for comfort for Peter, invaded his space, he couldn't handle it. See, John was fine with it. He would snuggle up to Jesus, if you remember that, and put his head on his chest and, oh, he's the, I'm the one he loves. But Peter was, was like, oh, he's coming a bit close to me now. So he said, no way, Lord, you're never gonna wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you won't let me wash you, you have no part with me. He's not being harsh, he's just telling the truth. If you won't let me serve you, I can't lead you. See, leadership is always by permission. It's like that here and now. I can't do anything for you if you won't receive anything from me. There's a block on God being able to use me for you if that's what you have got in place. Jesus' way of leading was by offering. It was offering to serve and, and, it's, and, and then he says, if you do that, we can be part of something together. Do you want to be part of something together? And the amplified version of this is it reads, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You share no companionship, no place of destiny together with me. See, we're calling it something way bigger than ourselves. It's about the destiny that Jesus has got for us to be able to be in together. So Jesus is basically saying, look, do you want to be part of this destiny with me or not? That's what membership is. Ordinary people think, oh, membership is when I get to vote. When do I get to vote? Jesus people say, no, when do I get to serve? We have 340 members. I'm so grateful to have 340 members of Ivy Church. They've signed a form. We love that people have signed those forms. Well, becoming a member isn't the same as being one. Because the way Jesus sees this, it's not a club, it's a covenant and it's a commitment. If, like me, you're a member of Ivy today and you intend to remain as part of this part of Christ's body, if you respond to that call, and you can do it today, you can fill in the form today, but it's way more than just filling out a form and getting it countersigned by an elder or a site leader. That's part of it, but it's the easy bit. Real membership is hard because that's with people as well as with Jesus. This is the legal process. We, you can go and get the paper and you can, I would encourage you if you want to get a paper, get a standing order form and say, I'm fully in. And say, don't just wash my feet, wash my head, wash everything. I'm fully in. But let me just 
have another moment of quiet reflection. And I wonder if you remember whether you could recommit to what this means today, and if not, whether you would commit to being a member today. So again, please stand, if you're able to. And everybody put a hand on somebody's shoulder next to them. I'm just going to read a few things from the form. Maybe some of you filled this form in already. Some of you are wondering about whether or not you could. But would you now recommit to this if you want to be a member here? Could you recommit to this? And, if, and if, if you're not a member, this is the commitment. Having received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, being in agreement with the vision and articles of faith of Ivy Church, I choose to unite myself with this church community. I commit myself hereby to protect the love and unity of this Christian community. By regularly and faithfully attending public worship, joining in small group life, praying for its growth, inviting others and warmly welcoming those who visit. By giving faithfully and generously as God prospers me, by refusing to gossip, being willing to forgive, or if needs be to confront issues which may otherwise result in broken relationship. I will do my part to share in the ministry of this Christian community by living a godly life, having a servant heart, supporting its leaders, praying for them, encouraging them, and bringing any concern or criticism directly to them. Being passionately committed to the mission of the church in obedience to the Great Commission. Talk to the Lord about that. He's inviting you into membership of his body. Is he inviting you to be part of this church as part of that body? And if so, just talk to him about that. And then please take a seat because we've looked at money and we've looked at membership and finally and briefly what does ministry look like? Well here it often ends up with people signing up on a rotor for something and 210 people appear on some kind of rotor here at Ivy and some people are on lots of rotors and we're really grateful for the people who appear on lots of rotors. We're really grateful for the way that you bring your service to the rest of the body. And the way Jesus modelled it, the one who leads the most serves the most. That's completely the opposite to the way that leadership works in the world generally, isn't it? See, some of you might were here. When I first came to Ivy, we were just in Didsbury. We did some baptisms of some people who just become Christians early on. And I stayed in the water at the end of it. And I said, I will wash the feet of anybody who is willing to have me lead them. I will wash the feet of anybody who is willing to have me lead them. See, that's how Christian leadership works. I can't make anybody have me as the leader of Ivy Church. I can make the offer. I can make the same offer today. I will make the same offer today. If you want me to, at the end, after communion, I'm going to be in the corner with a basin and a towel and some wet wipes because otherwise it gets gross if there's more. And I'm happy to wash anybody's feet because as a leader... I have to do the difficult jobs that other people don't want to do, that sometimes you get misunderstood as a result of doing them. 
So I'll wash the feet of anybody here who's willing to have me lead them. Ministry literally means service. I I never want to forget that. Jesus didn't go and grab Peter's feet and make him have them washed. It was a voluntary thing. All of the other disciples came to Peter, came before Peter. He was the only one who had a problem with it. But it's one at a time. And it's the same now for salvation. If you've never had Jesus wash your life, if you've never known what it, the, the, how amazing it is to have your guilty conscience clean, to have a fresh start and new life. So the, it's the most amazing thing and it lasts forever. Jesus said, Jesus said to Peter, no, you don't have to keep, I don't have to keep on washing you. I only have to do it once. Actually, if I wash you once, it's good enough forever. If I give you my life, I give my life for you. If you exchange your dead old life for my new life, that lasts forever. Just give me the old life and I'll wash it up and I'll make you and have a brand new life. You can have that today. And in fact, before you have communion and go and receive it, you can ask Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, would you give me the fresh start and the new life? Wash me clean from all of my sins. Forgive me. And he will. In fact, he already did on the cross. And it's not by water. It's his blood that is the most powerful substance in the universe he already shed his blood for you there's no way he's not going to forgive you you just got to ask he's never going to force it it's up to you so as I say I'll be over here and I'm happy to wash people's feet because I'm the leader here at Ivy and I'm called to lead I'm called to lead the elders I'm called to lead the staff team who are also leaders and I do that by serving and by using my gifts and helping them to develop their gifts so that they can serve you too. And I'm called to lead you if you'll let me by serving you. I was lying in bed the other night and uh, I said to the Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? And he said, I love you. And I said, thank you, Lord. That's nice. And I said, what do you want me to tell the people on Sunday? And he said, tell them I love them. You know, you know he loves you? Do you know Jesus loves you? Do you know God really loves you? That's it. I, I want to spend the rest of my life knowing how loved I am by God, but telling you he loves you. Wow, does he love you. Wow, does he love you. How, how much he loves us. How much he loves me, how much he loves you. And then when I, when I see how much he loves you, I love you with the same kind of love. That's how it works. And the passage said Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was loved by his father. He knew the people in the room. He wanted them to know that he loved them. He knew where he was going. He knew where he'd come from. He he was completely secure. And I know that I love this church and I know that it's love its people so much that I'm laying down my life to serve it one day at a time. I know I was actually called by an angelic visitation and divine appointment to lead Ivy. But I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know I'll screw up on occasion. I don't know where we'll be. I don't know how many places we're going to be and how many people we're going to connect with or all the things that he's going to call us to do. I don't know who will go and who will come and what roles people will play. I don't know any of that. I don't know what doors he's going to open. But a couple of weeks ago, I was again lying in bed. I do a lot of this. But it was three o'clock in the morning. And I heard God really clearly, so clearly he woke me up. 3.30 in the morning actually. He said this, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? 
See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Over and over and over and over and over. He kept saying it. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm like, yes, Lord, I perceive it. Please let me go back to sleep. Amen. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Roll over. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I knew I had to get out of bed. I wrote it down. I started to unpack it. I started to pray about it. See, behold. You've got to be it if you're going to hold it. That's what God said to me. See, I'm doing. I am. I am. I am. I am. This isn't us thing. This is a God thing. I am. I am. God is doing a new thing. It's a new thing. We're part of a new thing God is doing in the nation. Part of a new thing God is doing in the city. Part of a new thing God is doing in the church. Do you not perceive it? I get to, I'll go back to bed. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I understand. No. Perceive. 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 I can't stay in bed. I need to find out what perceive means. I look up the word in Latin. Two words. Perceive. Take completely. Take completely. God's doing a new thing. He wants you and me not to have a little bit of it. He wants us to take it or leave it. You can take it or leave it. I want to take it. I want to take it completely. Do you want to perceive it? I think we need God to do a new thing. Please stand. See, right at the end in verse 14, this is huge for me. He jumped out of the page. He switched it. He said, see, if I, you call me teacher and Lord, but if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. See, he's not just teacher, he's Lord. And in fact, before he can teach you what he wants to teach you, he has to be Lord. So just take a moment and pray into that. Because he said, now, you'll, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. It's not enough to know. It's about what we do. We're blessed if we do these things. We're going to, in a moment, go to the communion table and we're going to remember as worship starts that our Lord Jesus came to this earth for the forgiveness of our sins, to wash away all of our sins so that his body would be broken on the cross, so that our sins could be forgiven, we could be made whole, that his blood would be shed for our forgiveness. This is everything that he's done for us. And we're just going to take these elements as signs of that, that we are part of something so much bigger, a cosmic salvation that affects the whole universe that affects every part of this world and everybody in it we're, we're into something so much bigger when we take this this body and this blood these signs and symbols so take a moment before you go and do that don't just think oh yeah I've got the body I've got the blood I've got the bread I've got the wine think about what it means we're blessed when we do these things he's doing a new thing he's making all things new he wants you to be part of it. He wants me to be part of it. Do we have destiny together with him? Will you perceive it? Will you take it completely? So in different parts of the room, there's stations for bread and wine. And just in, in your own time, when the Lord when you sort of feel now is the time for me to go go to one of those stations and do it really prayerfully and bring all the broken bits of your life any broken relationships any, anything that needs to be restored 
it happens at the cross. All of this was done to bring the body together, the body of Christ. It's broken so that we can be whole. So Lord, in these moments now as we take communion, we thank you that you are here, you are working, you are moving. And you want us to join in together with your mission. Lord, thank you that this affects all of our lives, our money, our membership, what we're part of, and our ministry, how we work and serve together with you in the world. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.